This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, and welcome to the Monday Twilight Show with me, Hannah Wilson. Tonight, I'm getting to the nitty gritty of it. Do core subjects have more value than non-core subjects? Let's have a chat about it. I think things of age and everything has a place and it's quite even. So why do we still value the core subjects more highly? So get involved. Feel free to message or call in. This is Teachers Talk Radio and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Teaching is a rewarding profession but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. Okay, welcome to my Monday Night Show. So... Um, this is, if you've listened to me before, know very well that um, I'm an art teacher. Um, so I'm coming from that angle. I'm going to fight for my, my subject's worth tonight. Um, but there's like a hierarchy, isn't there, in school, that like maths and English are the most important subjects. And then it's science and then kind of modern foreign languages and geography and history. And then like it's a free-for-all with everything else. And that's how kind of like the buckets work. And I know that there's been suggestions of kind of adding more importance and having extra subjects count and stuff like that but I just think that society's changed a lot since that kind of structure was put in place and and I'm not devaluing maths or English in any way yes our students very much need to know how to read uh, and write and all of that kind of thing and I think it's important that they're able to articulate themselves be able to uh, have an intelligent argument and be able to put their point across well like I think that's something that we need to make sure our students are able to do but that doesn't mean that we can't do in other subjects um, and my previous show on oracy talked about that as well like how we can use oracy to debate and and discuss different things and improve our students life skills because I think school has changed in the fact that we do need to equip them better like society's changing and we need to think about how we're teaching them and and the same with maths like there's that I think there's a lot of disconnect between parents and maths because they found it hard at school and they've never had to use that type of maths since leading school um and, but if you were to go to school and you were to learn about the percentages of interest on a credit card or the different ways that mortgage rates work and how that changes on the percentage of your deposit, uh, things like that that could be useful. 
and transfer over, then I would not have a qualms that maths isn't important. But technology's changed. Like every kid has a phone at all hours of the day. Like, do they need to know maths as much? Do they need to be able to recite their times tables if they've got their phone on their in their hand? Like, is it as important as it was? Um, and and I've got maths A level. Like, I do enjoy maths, and I I will dabble and teach a bit of maths occasionally. So I'm not I'm not throwing it under the bus. It has its place. And it's same with like kind of modern foreign languages. Like I think it's really important that students be able to speak another language. I love the fact that I've lived abroad and have picked up bits and can have conversations in in other languages. But at the same time, we now have Google Translate that we didn't have before. Like, is that as much of a valued life skill? Why is that still up there as such an important thing that our students should have to do? But yet some of them can't even read and write. So it's like, do we need to take that and move the focus and same with science like I think it's really important that we know how things work and how they're created and things and how the science behind it and don't get me wrong like obviously we were kind of one of the leading countries in developing the vaccine and things like that so and we are quite forward in our scientific research as a country but it's also one of those that the kids that are into that are going to be into that the kids that aren't aren't but do we need to pressurize the ones that aren't into that or do we need to make it more of a playing field across kind of all the subjects and what our students want to do so <laughs> i'm going to reel off back so i'm going from the creative point of view to start off with so kind of um these are facts from the creative industries uh they have the most amazing poster that is always on my wall um and I just find it really interesting. So I quite often get the kids that they ask me like, oh, why do we have to do art? That's not important. Like, what's the point? And like, I will literally point at the poster and be like, not to mention you, like everything you're wearing, everything you're holding, all your phone, all your apps, everything is designed by a designer. Your water bottle, your forks, your knives, like your shoes, your your hair products, everything would have been designed by somebody. And actually there's a quite, a, there's a lot more open to students in terms of that area than perhaps they think of it's not just kind of painting and stuff it's about the creative process and problem solving that's what they get out of art they don't necessarily get out that they're amazing drawers but the thing that they should all take away is the fact that they can problem solve um so these are from 2019 and actually the creative industry has grown so they they release these every kind of um few years but they have grown i haven't got the new poster yet but um so there's 2.1 million creative jobs in the UK and there were 61,000 new jobs in 2019 and the growth market of the UK of the creative sector is 2.7 times the job growth of any other area um, in the UK uh, and it's quite a balance there's 33% is self-employed and 67% is employed so there's that balance of kind of being able to employ or have your own kind of work-life balance and own independence so there's just so much more opportunity and I don't think our students necessarily kind of understand and maybe the subject creative subjects aren't kind of advertised correctly in that respect and and the things that they can get from different subjects and the skills that they can get from those and transfer are really important um so um the creative industry is just growing and growing and growing but it's not just the fact that there's all these jobs. It's also job quality. Um, and the lovely Suzanne Carls, if, if you don't follow her as an art teacher, she's an amazing art activist. Um, and she says, like, when, when it comes on these data or these 
like I think there was one in the one of the newspapers which like the the most um highest earning jobs and it was like kind of putting art really low and it's like but what about job satisfaction why are we teaching our kids that they just need to go out and earn as much money as possible why are we not teaching them that you need to go find a job that you love and adore and it's not work and it doesn't feel like work and you, you it won't stress you out yes you might not earn quite as much as if you are a lawyer or what have you but you'll live a happy life like and I think job quality is really important and I think that's something that the creative industry has a lot more there's a higher job satisfaction in those jobs as well um and also they build your skills that make you more resilient like the problem solving and the constantly having to adapt and develop actually means that you're um kind of building more skills and able to adapt and and less likely to have mental health problems if you're in one of those uh, industries so about one in eight UK businesses is in the creative industry. So it really is that big. So why, if it's that big, are we not putting more of a kind of emphasis on it in schools? Um, and it, this includes kind of media and sport. They're all kind of in there. So um, so 94% are micro businesses employing fewer than 10 staff, whereas 87.6 have a turnover of less than 20. £250,000 a year. Uh, so there are little little businesses in there as well. But um, I think it was where, I'm just finding the figure because it just is outstanding the amount of money that it brings in as well. Um, in the fact that we actually export a lot of our creative industries and actually we, we're bringing in quite large amounts of money from the creative industries and the fact that we are developing things and we are um, kind of doing this service that we're, able to so here we go the export service of the creative industry rose by 10.9 percent to a total of 19.8 billion pounds and that was in 2014 and it's risen more since then um whereas like kind of it was 2.3 percent from the same period in other areas of the uk economy so we're talking like five-fold kind of increase in the amount that we're able to export as well so we should be kind of pushing people into these kind of creative jobs and making them understand the value of them as opposed to always being like oh well that's like a hobby it's not really a job so I think it is one of those where it is more it is yes I think people don't pick it because they think it, it's it's like a lame idea it's it's not as is kind of you'd have failed if you picked it kind of thing and I think that's a bit of a shame and the um kind of other side of it that kind of brought me into this kind of topic was actually an article in the guardian so they were um talking about the fact that art colleges have kind of disappeared um and that fact that um the buildings were once a sign of civic pride um and that colleges that once fostered talent often from working class backgrounds have vanished at an alarming rate um so and that the two beneficiaries of the system are documented in de demise. So um, ironically, the guy who wrote the article went, came back to Norfolk, which is where I'm from, um, to find his old art college in Great Yarmouth. But unfortunately, um, it is closed. But actually, one of his greatest alumni was Keith Chapman, the creator of Bob the Builder. Um, and now it's just kind of um, a building. It's no longer an art school. And you, you kind of think of somewhere what you study like a university you think it is permanent you don't think it is something that's going to disappear but actually 
it has. Um, and actually, he looked into it, and actually, quite a lot of them had disappeared, or, or they've been amalgamated into larger institutions. So, um, obviously, there's places like the Royal College of Art and Norwich University Arts in this direction has has grown and grown and grown, and um, it's now got whole drama units as well. And so, there are areas that are thriving and becoming more of it, but the kind of the traditional back in the kind of 1930s 1940s kind of art school where people went to kind of don't really exist anymore um and it was kind of the places where people would like build their skills and find their interests and it kind of rose to create in the kind of 60s and 70s the kind of incubator for pop stars and film directions and fashion designers that kind of kick-started the British popular culture and kind of are we kind of reducing that opportunity that we're not going to be as creative as we previously were by not giving people these opportunities to be able to do that and I think as a country we are very much if you think of kind of what Britain is and even like even if you go to the coronation uh, um, or the jubilee it's it's all celebrating it's all music and dance and art and and like the prince's trust like we are a country that kind of cherishes that and we do kind of try to promote it but it's always it's not necessarily seen as important especially not in school even though kind of um that's actually what our country's mostly about and i think i, I find that a, a weird proposition that the two don't kind of line up especially as um kind of the career sector develops um and i think it is developing in a more modern way and i think yes they need to know computer science and kind of the science behind things but actually the creative side is really important and um if i was to go back to university i would go back to my my master's university which is uh, the norwich university of the art they've now got a uh user interaction degree where you can go and learn about how people interact with apps on phones and it's all about how if you change certain designs and stuff like I didn't realize that the, the shade of red on an alert would more likely make you click on it and open that app like things like that like the science behind that is is so beyond me but it's it's an art it's it's an arts kind of career um and that's where we get more kind of developing as technology develops. We are more of an art. So why is, why is it not getting the accolade that it uh, should do? Um, and one of the things that I do, uh, I always get the Norwich University Arts to come and talk to my students, but they did uh, this thing quite a few years ago where they looked at the 10 skills. So they basically asked loads and loads of employers to name the skills that they wish their uh, employees had. And these were the 10 skills that they had. And I think they mostly come from the creative subjects. So uh, one of them was, uh, I'm going to read them all out. So we've got communicating with colleagues and partners. So I think things like drama and uh, being able to articulate arguments and stuff is, is very much uh, coming across there. Demonstrating a positive attitude. So again, I think I think that comes across quite often. Flexibility and adaptability. I mean, that's definitely an art thing, being able to adapt and change and learn as, as when things go wrong, how you deal with those. Handling customers and clients. I think, again, that's quite a, 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 a drama thing and how you interact with people and learning those things. 
um interpreting a brief very much kind of an artsy thing you get you get a uh, literally a title or a brief and you have to develop that uh, meeting deadlines and delivering brief i mean everything from the start of your year 10 to year 11 counts for your gcses and i think our kids the fact that they have their art exam before any of their other exams start and quite often just before they exam start are your school's mocks the fact that our kids have to deal with that and deal with their deadlines and how that works they they build those skills resilience again another one they're constantly told in art to fail and and be, learn from it and how they develop from it responding to feedback granted i will i will allow that one to go to everyone um showing attention to detail again i think that's a lot of the creative subjects and working in a team but that can be uh like things like in pe and things like that and i think there um has just got as many places as us and i think that kind of goes for um looking at that side of it as well like why does kind of catering and things like that and you get like one hour a week whereas English and maths get kind of all these hours but actually if we look at our country we have an issue with our children and the fact that they do not eat properly and they um have just basically processed food is been like soared through the last few years and we don't really know the full effect that that's having our children but our children are not getting the education on how to eat healthily to the point where it's drilled in yes they they're told about it but we know that like habits take a really long time to form and we're not kind of giving the students the opportunity to really understand in depth the health benefits of eating properly and portion control and how to cook properly i mean seeing all the 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 tweets from the university students of like my child now knows how to cook two meals good luck kind of things and it's one of them is baby beans on toast like we need they should be cooking they should be and also like parents are both working more like get equip your children let them like help out at home my little one loves cooking like I think it's important that they know how to cook and they're not like the first time they're cooking is when they finally leave home that they are able to do that and they're able to cook healthily and I think the benefits of that and I think getting even the government to think about actually if we put more funding in to to make that happen the impact that can have on the nhs at a later time along with if you pair that with pe and making them have more pe more understanding in it and i think um gosh i'm going right back to one of my very first shows i had um josh who's a strength and conditioning coach at a private school and the way that they do sport and they kind of drill it in and and how they teach them how to do things properly and i think it's it's one of those like a lot of people will go maybe scared to go in the gym because they don't understand it or they then lift wrong and then injure themselves like we should be teaching our students how to have really healthy habits to build really good lives where they know how to exercise properly and they know how to eat properly and that they know how to manage their mental health properly and i think the education system isn't hasn't shifted but the kids have and i think especially since covid we everybody knows that school is harder to teach in since covid and i think it's a mental health problem like the kids can't regulate themselves they haven't got that resilience like i do notice that the kids the kids in my classes 
if I look at their results, they're, they're flying way higher than other, other subjects because they've built that resilience and I've taught them it and they know how to they know how to thrive in my subject because I've taught them how to. I've taught them those coping mechanisms and they know that they can do it because I believe in them. But I think we need to adapt and change what we're teaching our kids and making sure that we are setting them up for a healthy life because I think, I mean, not having a go at parents, but I think there's a big gap in what parents are telling children at home the feed that they're feeding the kind of lifestyle that they're living that and especially in covid we saw a lot of our students from um deprived backgrounds didn't do the study and and they just kind of sat around gaming kind of drinking red bulls and monsters like how many of them come in and have energy drinks before school or on the way to school um and and it's they're not really understanding the impact that that has on their health and on their body and their mind and i know it's one of those that oh well we've told them they do kind of know but are we doing them if we're drilling into the point that they can to make sure that they can read and do maths to a level why are we not drilling into them how to be healthy how to live a life where you can manage your own stress through exercise and eat well and how to not stress eat and things like that and things like but also like this the science does science need to adapt um i'm sure lydia will pop up in a moment to comment on the science but um is it that actually we need to adapt what we're teaching them so that they understand diseases better and how better to look for things like I feel like there's just so much pressure on our NHS and our NHS is not in the best of states, but is it made worse because people don't know how to look after themselves and don't know how to, um, if you're injured or you get ill, the kind of ways that you can look after yourself and make yourself better as opposed to, and eat right and eat healthy. Do they actually know that like if you have garlic or ginger and stuff, those actually help your immune system and you're less likely to get colds and things as opposed to, ah, just wax and paracetamol in them. Um, it's, I think we need to make sure that we're equipping our students as best as we can to go out into the outside world. And I do think there's so much that the other subjects can do. I find it really difficult that the waiting of how much time is dedicated to the core subjects and why they're so important and why that is what every school is judged at. Why is it that uh, when I got results day, we just got the sheet with the maths, English, science and, and everything. Ours wasn't on it. I didn't, we didn't get any of ours till much later. And it was just, it was a bit like kind of, I know that they're important and I get that they're important, but there could be kids in there that are like, maybe getting their fours or fives just, but they, they get nines in other subjects because they're thriving. And I feel that that should be celebrated just as much. And it's just as important. It shouldn't be that like, you're, it's only celebrated if you can make kids get these high grades in those core subjects and make them into these really kind of, kind of intelligent students, but they can, they can only do that, sit in that little bubble. Like we should make them all rounded students that are, interested in what is going on in the world and how they can make a difference and how to change things and how to be creative in that respect because I think if you can problem solve life is way easier and you can adapt and develop and understand things much easier if you kind of can learn to problem solve and I think that's quite often what's 
I think. Um, I don't know the psychology of children's post-COVID, but I do think that the resilience of the students has gone down and they are very much, ah, it'll get sorted because it has so far. So it, they're, 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 they're fine. Like, it's not the end of the world if they don't do well in their GCSEs. It's not the end of the world if they don't turn up. It's not the end of the world if they don't do their homework. And it's not the end of the world if they wear some sparkly earrings or a skirt that's too short. Like, And the fact that parents are kind of promoting that, they're going to go to the press and be like, oh, they missed out on their learning because my skirt was too short. And it's like, there's, there's a them versus us. And actually, we need to change what education is to make everybody kind of see the benefits of it and see it as we're not there to discipline the children we're there to make sure that they get the best out of it and make sure that they can kind of come out of it the other side as the best people possible that they can then go on to benefit and um kind of end up in life the best that they can and I think there's there's a lot of pressure especially on those highly intelligent students to do the really intelligent subjects and actually I found more over the last few years that I've had students kind of they'll start all their subjects and then go how can I swap to one of yours because I need a balance I'm really struggling I don't I don't have an outlet and I had the most beautiful letter um this summer from one of my students who who wrote to me and quite openly said um I picked your subject because I thought it would be easy I picked photography because I thought it would be balanced my subjects and it would just be basically a piece of piss um and he said but it was the complete opposite he's like I it was the place that I felt myself and I found myself and I found a side of me that I didn't realize existed and that I was able to grow and develop myself and it was the highlight of my week and I I loved it because I was myself and it gave me confidence so it was really nice that he was able to I I cried when I got the letter I'm not gonna lie but and, and he got a nine and it was amazing but and he did well in his other subjects because he's very intelligent but I think for him, he was underestimating it because that's how it sold to them. And quite often I get the kids that aren't, I, I, in my data, my kids are basically the lowest prioritizing students in the school. That's what I get because then the, then the intelligent ones aren't encouraged to do it. Um, and it does in that, but they don't realize the benefits of it that actually if the intelligent students did create a creative subject or did something else like PE that actually would benefit them and balance them and maybe might avoid kind of burnout later on as well and one of the things I found really interesting when I was kind of researching this a few years ago um I was looking at kind of the impact of the arts and things like that and somebody um and I, I came across this article that actually there's a hospital in London and they employ an art teacher to go in and give the surgeons lessons and the idea is to try and to get them to be creative and problem solve more and and they were trying to build up these skills because they were so regimented that when it became to the difficult surgeries they were really really struggling with how to solve them um, and I think and then I spoke to some universities after that into it and they were like yeah we they, they actually look as one of the subjects 
textiles if a, if a kid has science and maths and stuff and then textiles a they know they've got their sewing skills so as a surgeon they're going to be golden um but also the fact that they've got that problem solving skills they will be able to adapt they've learned that um and i found that really interesting that actually universities were looking for these different subjects but that's not filtered down into schools and we're not kind of that they're not given that place where they're told that it's important um, what have we got from Paul? So in, uh, in primary schools, we have a constant battle with various parents who give in on many things for an easy life. Sugary drinks, bad choices for packed lunches, proper hours of sleep. Yeah. So I'm noticing that already. I'm like two weeks in after the summer holidays. I can see I, I've, I've got your 10s in my tutor group and I can see that the ones that are not getting enough sleep, they're staying up gaming, that are now really struggling with the early mornings and and that they can't quite regulate themselves I can see them popping off and I said oh next this week I think by the end of it they're all they started really well but I can see it already and I think there isn't that like kind of emphasis for our students and stuff on the importance of sleep um and I spoke that a little bit on my healthy habits one with uh, Carl in the summer and that like as teachers as well we're quite bad for it like we will stay up I mean, I'm going to openly admit I've probably fallen asleep on the sofa every day in the last two weeks um, because I'm like, oh, I can't go to bed at nine o'clock. <laughs> that makes me very sad. Um, but I'm just exhausted. And I know that I need to get my proper sleep in order to do my best job. And And it is that whole idea that if you kind of try and push through and push through and push through, the quality of the work that you do and your temperament is going to go down if you actually rest and sleep and, and then come back to it you're going to get it done in a quicker time and it's probably going to be a better output and I think things like that we should be teaching our students and the importance of having good sleep and and good food and as much as we want to do like free school meals and have opportunities how much are the kids still picking the rubbish options or not eating the healthy options, but if they understood that, stood it, and that's and it's and it's like that with educational research, isn't it? Like if we want staff to understand a new concept about how students learn, and we want them to deliver it and help with the buy-in, we are told that we need to give them the science behind it. We need to explain to our teachers why that kind of idea is really good, and that why we should all adopt it and do it, and um that's going to help with them kind of wanting to do it but we should be doing the same with the students we should be uh, rather than just like one assembly one point in one year we need to be explaining to them kind of regularly and in lots of different de levels of detail the impact of having a red bull and things like that and and or other energy drinks and having that for breakfast i think i had a student turn up with quite a big one one day and I was like, oh, you don't, he was like, and he was saying to me that he was always tired. That's why he had it. And I was like, you're tired because you're having these spikes of, of sugar. And I was like, I'm going to Google how much sugar it is. And I, I Googled it and it was 21 cubes of sugar that he had in that one drink. And he was drinking that every morning. And, and the impact that was then, I was like, then you have a sugar low. That's why you then argue with all the teachers in the afternoon and you end up getting in trouble. Like you're ruining your education by starting off your day with a sugary drink. I think to push my, cause I'm quite stubborn, push my point home. The next week I had him, I'd brought in cubes of sugar and I stacked them up next to him. It's like, this is how much sugar was in your drink. Um, cause I just think 
like and then to actually see it and I know people do that and I know there's assemblies and we explain that to students but I don't think they know the science of sugar and the impact that has on your body and how that can make you feel and I think quite often that that is a lot of kind of I know there's hormones and stuff with teenagers and whatnot but actually a lot of students kind of behavior can be put down to kind of bad choices of habits and things like that um but yeah so I think it's important that we kind of teach them all those different things um as well as kind of showing them all the different creative stuff but I'm just going to play the news and then I'm going to get Liam to come and have a chat about the importance of the creative arts Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff. Protecting careers. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. School suspensions featured in The Guardian, always a provocative topic. According to analysis reported in the newspaper, since the pandemic, disadvantaged pupils in England were 3.7 times more likely to be sent home than other pupils. The analysis was published alongside a separate survey of teachers who said that verbal and physical abuse from pupils had increased significantly post-pandemic. School suspensions have risen overall since Covid, up 30% in 2021 to 22, compared with 2018 to 19, but have gone up more sharply amongst disadvantaged pupils, up 75% versus 4% for non-disadvantaged. The analysis was completed by Who's Losing Learning on the latest available DfE figures for 2021 to 2022. Other groups who saw significant increases were children with social workers and children with special educational needs. The analysis also looked at geographical factors. The increase in suspensions was highest in the East Midlands, up 57%, followed by the North West and North East at 34%. The survey of NAS UWT members found almost 9 out of 10 said the number of pupils exhibiting physically violent and abusive behaviours has increased in the last year. Almost three quarters of those surveyed cited poor socialisation skills following COVID restrictions as a key driving factor behind the rise in poor pupil behaviour. When asked for comment, the DfE said it supports head teachers to take the action necessary to promote good behaviour. The TES reports on further concerns around recruitment of secondary teachers in England. Figures obtained by the NEU and NAHT show ministers are on course to miss recruitment targets by 48%. Numbers in all subjects except history, PE and classics are below the national recruitment target. 
the figures for last month, the final month before teacher training courses begin, shows there were 13,788 recruits. This is short of the target of 26,360. Paul Whiteman, NAHT General Secretary, said the shortages meant more children were being taught either by teachers with no qualifications in the subject, by teaching assistants or by supply staff. A DfE spokesperson said there were record numbers of teachers in schools, up by 27,000 since 2010. But unions point out that the number of pupils in state-funded schools had risen at almost double the rate of teaching workforce. Special educational needs has been in the spotlight after reports in the media suggest that the government has signed a contract targeting 20% cuts to the number of new education, health and care plans. According to The Observer, the cuts emerged as councils across England face huge financial deficits on SEND. This is caused by rising demand and long-standing underfunding, they say. Part of the government response has been the launch of the new Delivering Better Value in SEND, which supports councils to bring down budget deficits via early intervention and teaching children with SEND in mainstream schools. The plan's design costs £19.5 million, but it suggests a reduced growth in the number of EHCPs, targeting at least a 20% reduction. Concern has been expressed by SEND campaigners around the legality of such an approach. Ministers have denied that a specific target to reduce EHCP exists and that it was completely wrong to suggest the DfE is withdrawing support for SEND. Finally, a feature article in The Guardian focuses on research into the impact of pornography on the lives of children and young people. Abby Wright spoke to 10,000 children between 2016 and 2022. They were aged between 6 and 22 and came from a range of backgrounds across the UK. Wright is a theatre designer and did the research as part of the creation of two new musicals. The feature article called Too Much Too Young is available online, but broad findings suggest that children as young as six are encountering porn online often via pop-ups, but sometimes having been introduced to it by older friends or siblings. For 9 to 11-year-olds, exposure to porn is frequent via platforms like YouTube. Children as young as 12 admitted to feeling like they were addicted to pornography. Teenagers feel that they learn more from pornography than sex education classes, particularly those exploring their sexuality or gender identity. Pornography also appears to confuse the issue of consent, particularly for young women who feel if it is okay in porn, then it's okay in real life. Whatever our thoughts on such a sensitive and challenging topic, it seems clear that relationships and sex education needs to catch up quickly for a lot of young people. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. And and that feeds into the show quite well in the fact that PSHE is it's a, it's a side subject, it's a little add-on, isn't it? That actually they don't learn that much in it because it hasn't got enough hours and it hasn't got enough emphasis on it. And actually we should be teaching students far more so they can have healthier relationships and and things like that. But I think actually what kind of stemmed this one was actually talking to on the review show quite a while ago we were reviewing results and the discrepancies between the different parts of the country and i think a lot of that is that um 
people aren't exposed to different cultural capital and they don't have the opportunity to go to the theatre or go see a show or things like that. And actually, whereas the like in London, they're much closer and much uh, more opportunity to do those. And I think we kind of don't, we think of those as a privilege as opposed to something that can encourage students and improve students and, and give them more opportunities. So Liam, you've kind of joined me tonight. So you... Um, work as a, a kind of like a drama teacher you tutor students and, and run drama classes but you also uh, have worked in an alternative provision school as well so you kind of can see the benefits of those subjects on on a range of students hello Anna. can you hear me you're a bit quiet can you let me see what i can do is that better Anybody? that's much better i can hear you now hello. <laughs> yes yes yeah, so primarily uh Professionally, I am a, a playwright and a theatre director um, and sort of upon leaving drama school in 2014, uh, as you can imagine, the uh, industry I work in being a precarious one, I needed a day job uh, and uh, sort of stumbled into education uh, first as a sort of a teaching assistant and then uh, a cover supervisor and then I've been sort of steadily working through SEND schools uh, across London and now uh, back in Norfolk where, which I moved back to uh, during the pandemic and as you've just uh, mentioned yes uh, several stints in short stay provisions for um, students who have been pexed. Uh, alongside this I have been teaching for both Stagecoach Performing Arts and Pauline Quirk Academy for the last five to six years and have definitely seen uh, a vast array of students who have greatly benefited from arts education in the way that I did as a child and that's something that has obviously led on uh, into my later life and my career. So I was saying at the, at the start that kind of art schools are reducing and arts universities so what do you think the benefits are of having like a, a school that's specifically aimed at, at that kind of thing? I think it's the specificity of what you're learning to do, the uh, the craft of acting or, or any art in particular is an incredibly difficult nuanced beast and it's something that you only get through uh, doing and being taught by industry professionals. Um, I think there's something unique about that sort of training and the hours uh, needed. Uh, I trained at Drama Centre London, which, uh, you know, uh, has yielded an incredible amount of talent. Tom Hardy, Michael Fassbender, uh, Amelia Clark, Penelope Wilson over the years. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we closed last year. I was part of a closing staff. Um, the decision was made by the university host uh, that was housing the school, uh, UAL, um, that it was not financially viable to continue the course. Um, and unfortunately, I do I see the pros and the cons of that as a business uh, idea, looking at it from a producing hat. But uh, I think the sort of what that they're missing a trick there in terms of that sort of training but however i do feel that um many more closures are on the way uh these these schools are incredibly hard to get into and due to the amount of specificity that you need realistically you only want 16 
to 20 students per year so that those students are getting the targeted education and if you look at more of a university drama course you know you've got a, a year group of 100 doing 40 hours a week we were a year group of 16 doing up to 75 hours a week so financially you can see how that does not work <laughs> whatsoever so i do understand the financial implications however uh if the country wants to continue to yield this talent and uh, the fantastic actors actresses directors writers that we have come up with over the last hundred years i think it's something that needs to be financially balanced um and and you know ultimately that does mean that it is going to have to be subsidized because the fees will not cover the costs but it's taking that chance and do you invest in that art knowing that ultimately the other side something like the west end for every pound you put in you get 10 back into the economy so i suppose it's it's that idea isn't it that it's at the point where they're kind of learning the craft they're they're not famous they're not making money they're not in things so it's and but you're producing people that go on to do that but that's not going to come back to the school in any way shape or form but it's but it is giving them those skills to be able to go on and be successful and I, I think it is that also that idea that it does really take dedication to be good at it it's and people think of the kind of like drama and art as kind of wishy-washy subjects they're really easy or you're just naturally good at it but they don't really understand that to be really good at it you have to put a lot of hours into it oh it's phenomenally difficult uh you know i i myself as a director and a writer i i don't envy actors uh, i must say and you know i've got many actor friends and you know the life is difficult the life is hard and ultimately you know you know this going into training and it's continually uh, said to you but often not believed that you know the majority of the time you are out of work however it's that sort of gamble isn't it, it only takes one game of thrones to get you that success and that financial reward that will help propel you into future work but it is a long game it's it's not a it's not a reality tv quick fix here we are i'm famous if you really want to if you really are interested in telling stories and not the fame side of it it's an incredibly long game for incredibly hard-working people and ultimately you know not everybody makes it that is there is an element of luck within that and an element of risk and you need to be prepared, as, as I have done with the education side, um, financially holding up my career. Uh, let's, and let's face it, you know, I've, I've had a play in the West End. I'm a published playwright. And yet that has never paid the bills. Um, what has paid the bills is working in education. And uh, so that's something you've got to consider. How, how do you balance that aspect of your life uh you know i'm 31 now cannot consider getting a mortgage cannot consider certain aspects of of uh building a life which other people my friends have have uh managed through their careers because that's not the kind of i uh, you know ultimately i'm currently shooting a film which i'm self-financing and i've i've worked out that i have put uh the amount of money in as it would have cost to put a deposit down in the house and that's the choice that i've made yeah i would uh i'd be sat in a house thinking oh i really want to make that film so i have i have 
put my money where my mouth is and sort of backed myself. But I fully understand that people may not be in a position to do that. And uh, I, pros and cons uh, to recommending that as well. But if you enjoy something and you do believe in the work, I think there is something in making it happen yourself. Um, Tom's asked what the film is, <laughs> which ironically, I know I like I like to pitch my other my other shows. I did the my uh, teachers with a side hustle, so um, Liam was filming in my house at that time whilst I was doing that show because I was like, "There's actors in my house." Um, but yeah, I'll ex- let you explain what it is. Sure. The the film currently titled uh, it's changed title about seventy times. Uh, currently titled Requiem is a feature film adaptation of uh, a play that I had in the West End called This Is Living, uh, published by Nick Hearn Books. Um, it, it chronicles a young mother who uh, unfortunately has uh, tragically died and it follows um, the process of death and grief and transcendence to whatever you believe happens next. Uh, from a very unique perspective, and that is the perspective of the dead person themselves. It's shot like a uh, fly-on-the-wall documentary, and it follows uh, the protagonist, Alice, from the moment of her death up until uh, the moment of transcendence into whatever happens next. And and you, 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 it's not just been in the West End. It's been on the sh- show in Australia, and I think it's been translated into Turkey, is it? Into Turkish. Yeah, that's that's sort of been a sort of fascinating journey uh, for that. Obviously, uh, the show started life uh, whilst I was at Drama Centre London, um, whereas the acting course at the school uh, has m- ample opportunity in the third year to get industry attention, agents, casting directors, and so forth. The directing course, I felt very strongly there needed to be a USP for me leaving the school and entering the industry and whilst other students had decided to direct classical plays or pieces of writing that had already been pre-performed by uh, professional venues I decided that to make my mark I really needed to write something original uh, so I created this play we took it to Edinburgh luckily it was a success went into the West End and was published by Nick Hearn and on the back of that what has been really interesting is this is a play that sort of had its big debut and was published in 2016 and now has moved into a place where it's continually performed as part of auditions for drama schools drama school um, uh, showcases in the third year and what's been really interesting is that obviously it is now available to license and theatre companies professional and non-professional across the world which has been the very interesting aspect have taken it on so yes we've uh, had companies in america doing the u.s premiere we've had an australian company premiere last year and that's been brought back uh, in melbourne this year produced by uh, gavin roach for meat market and yes uh turkey turkey was translated uh, earlier in the year which was a very interesting um experience purely because i don't speak turkish um and that involved a certain degree of trust that the translation would be faithful uh we we received the translation from the turkish company and uh luckily i had a friend who did speak turkish or enough um to have a quick flick through and check it wasn't wildly different to what i had written and so that was our first uh, non-english language production and it has been really heartwarming uh to turn up to these productions um, having directed the sort of uh, drama centre Edinburgh and West End runs myself, uh, it was fascinating to turn up to uh, productions of 
the play having had absolutely no involvement of it and to sit in the audience and just watch it and it was uh terrifying the first time i thought oh god i, I really i mean i can't say it's bad i wrote the thing so i i have to <laughs> you know, i have to get on board here and it, i first production i saw of it was at rose bruford the drama school in sidcup uh had a fantastic time and you know i, I thought it was i thought it was fantastic and actually that led to uh, the casting of uh, Neve Lynch, who is uh, leading the film adaptation of it. That's how I discovered her, by going and seeing her in her second year at drama school, performing the role within the play. Um, Tom's asked, how much money does it cost to shoot a movie? I don't know whether you know. <laughs> well, Tom, I think we're into the 30, 40,000 at the moment. I mean, if you're doing it on a big, you know, obviously if you're doing it full size, uh you, you're talking minimum sort of 1.5 mil uh unfortunately i don't have that lying in the bank nor will uh credit cards get me that far so we're talking uh currently we're about 35k in uh as we come up to the end of production and going into post-production i imagine we've got another 15 20 to go until release and i imagine it's going to be released so uh, it's going to go into festivals um across the world the aim is spring 25 so we've got another year of post-production uh it's been a long old shoot i've been shooting on and off um for the last two years and it's a very simple system of i work like mad six days a week for four to five months to afford two days of shooting uh so we can afford to pay people at industry standard rates which is something that i've uh i've been very insistent upon since leaving drama school i think there's a to take the leap from a student to a professional you have to pay people and you have to pay people at the uh the the industry going rate so yes it this is this is a film that could have been shot in 20 days we've shot it over two years so that it could be fully financed uh well and people can be um paid what they are due because the work in this is fantastic it is um i'm so excited to see it. i've seen little snippets but i'm very excited to see it but kind of at, at school, drama was the thing that kind of saved you. Is the place that kind of you f you found yourself. Absolutely. Uh, school uh, school I found a little bit difficult. I'm I, I'm not scared to admit. Uh, I was not a sporty kid. Uh, terrible at sports. Still terrible at sports. Um, and at the high school I went to at the time, there was a particular leaning towards sport. That was the sort of school's USP. And uh, for people like me, where that wasn't, uh, it just wasn't a thing, uh, a possibility, there was an incredible amount of ridicule. Uh, and that was just, that was, you know, unfortunately at the time, and sort of, you know, schooling has changed quite considerably. Uh, from my era to the era I now work in, um, there was an amount of bullying and there was an amount of uh, unappreciation for what I enjoyed, which was the theatre. Now, uh, within within that setting, I must add, I had a fantastic drama teacher, uh, a little shout out to Elizabeth Faraday there, um, absolutely championed me what i wanted to do uh, first starting off as a writer and then uh she she was the one who spotted that i could direct and subtly pulled me aside one day and said you know i really think you should go go for directing so uh she really championed me um i did all the school plays and that was my safe space and especially outside of that school 
uh, arena. I was part of Norwich Theatre Royal's youth theatre company. That was every Saturday. It took a huge part of my life from the ages of 11 to 19. And that was my, that was my solitude. That was my, my safe space. Uh, Like-minded people who perhaps hadn't in the week had the best time at school, but we came together doing something we all enjoyed. Nobody took the mick out of us. It was fantastic. We were performing on the Norwich Theatre Royal Stage, Norwich Playhouse, you know, and that was our community. It's about finding your tribe. That was an incredible place. Uh, and in combination between that and Liz Faraday's encouragement within the school setting, I knew this is what I absolutely wanted to do. And I don't really know what I would have done without that. Um, I, I think it's so vitally important to have those sort of spaces uh, whether that's, you know, and that's not just an art thing, it's having a space to grow in whatever field you feel you'd like to go into. And it's 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 finding an area that you want to do, but it's, it's were people generally, were there a lot of people kind of doing it or is it kind of, because it's one of those, isn't it? I feel that actually if the arts were kind of promoted more and actually it's not seen as an easy thing because it I think it's not I think if people haven't done arts in general they don't understand how hard it is and you you learn this real graft of if you need to succeed you have to graft at it um and you build and learn this resilience that I don't think you get from studying kind of maths or English and I, I I've I'm not meaning to put those subjects down but I just feel like there's this extra set of skills that you get from them that's just really quite dismissed but actually it should be really encouraged and it should be put up there that people should learn to be able to do drama properly and stand and present and talk and be able to write creatively and and build the resilience and and learn how to communicate with people I think so I think the the, the common misconception it, it, it is just dressing up and having a bit of a laugh and, and mucking about and that it isn't to be taken as seriously with the same weight as other more academic or academically perceived subjects uh, and I think that's completely wrong because there's something in it that feeds into everything you know if you think how many jobs require a performance aspect uh, a judge a lawyer uh, they're it's it's a performance a teacher a teach you know y you are doing a solid performance for that hour and a half you know and and if you're doing it right you should be exhausted by the end of it you know there's something about capturing an audience holding a room and working with others the amount of children who turn into adults who cannot collaborate who cannot work with others and struggle within a day job setting we've all got colleagues like that who cannot work in a group setting and it's painfully obvious that they were you know they were not exposed to something group uh, orientated and team building as a child because those are the skills it um, you know at the end of the day i think it's fantastic if you want to go into the arts but that's not the sole reason i'm doing this uh and passing these skills on because ultimately there's just something in seeing a child who comes to you and is absolutely terrified and won't speak two words and a year later they're standing up and they're singing let it go from frozen in front of a room of 50 people <laughs> you know there is growth that's personal growth and that's something that can be developed and they'll take on to a future life so ultimately whether you want to go into the arts i think is 
in many respects irrelevant. It's what it does and what it leaves you, the confidence, the people skills, how to hold a conversation. You know, who's who's had to rely on their, you know, looks and who's had to rely on a personality. It's some you know, there's there's something in that about speaking to people and that's gonna you're gonna take that through to job interviews, you're gonna take that through to dates. You know, it's it's really important that those skills are cultivated at a young age because once you get to a certain point, you can't in you you can't put that in. That's gotta be there from the beginning. And I think, you know, as fabulous as maths is, it doesn't let you stand up in front of a room and to capture an imagination. No, I completely Completely agree because I was I was a very very shy child. I did not speak very much. I was quite quiet, and I remember my parents making me do the lambda kind of drama speaking exams. I had to learn the poems and repeat them and stuff. And actually, that was that was what made me become more confident to be able to stand up and and say things in front of people. And I think I think actually that's kind of one of the reasons I I when I eventually got into teaching and and I didn't do teach training. My first job I interviewed for a maternity leave position and my first lesson I ever taught was my interview lesson and I just went into that and absolutely thrived and and loved it and I I, I think those it's it's the, like you said the skills that you don't expect to gain from it that that carry you through life and can really benefit you in kind of any situation I think so I think there's I think you're ultimately going to achieve more if you can hold someone's attention and you can communicate well. And that's something that drama allows you to do. And it also allows you to learn the skill of problem solving, which is applicable to any walk of life, to raising a family, to managing a team. You're continually, you know, just, just living is a continual problem solving exercise. Now, what drama allows you to do is to work out how we're going to do something okay let's let's collaborate here you're going to do that you're going to do that how do we work together pull all these elements together into creating the final product i think it's so beneficial again you know even if you don't want to go into acting there's just something about finding a voice and having your say working with others and you know what that does for you and you might get this through sport you know it's a similar thing you're creating a community you're working with other people that's a fantastic thing you know, people do like moments of solitude, but I think being able to communicate with people is something that pushes things forward. But also there's that side of resilience, like you don't go in and just perform. You have to practice over and over and over again. And the same with art, you have to do draw over and over and over again to improve. And I think you don't necessarily get that with other subjects. I think it, it builds that resilience and that ability to one more time one just do it one more time just change that and just do it one more time and that kind of strive for perfection that you know you'll never might not get to but you still go through all the process of it yeah i think i think there's just something of sticking in it isn't it i i think there is it's about uh showing up turning up doing something you've committed to and staying with something for a long period of time you know there's really something beneficial as a child about having 12 weeks to rehearse a play that's what you're doing okay i've signed up for this i'm going to commit to this every tuesday thursday and friday i'm going to spend my after school doing this thing working towards this goal 
communally with these people. I'm not going to drop out. I'm not going to let people down. I've said I'm going to be here. I've been entrusted with this role or these costumes or these lights. Something, you know, people are relying on me. And to put your heart into something and really make a difference there, I, I think it's a, a fantastic thing. I do, and you know, this is this is why it saddens me that this education is being systematically cut back within schools. You know, it's not something on a primary level that we have anymore. You know, it's not, you know, I've, I've worked in sort of 40 primary schools over the last five to ten years sort of egg supply or short-term long-term there's there's very little drama some schools might have the school production they might do the easter story or the the nativity but that's about it you know it's very uh it's very points based it's very on the academics it's very on the sport and unfortunately the art the drama it's seen as an addition it's really nice we all like it but let's you know Come on, it's it's not it's not going to change the world. But ultimately, in 2020, we realised it really was a necessity. And I bet all those people who were naysaying it and cutting it sat down and watched Netflix. And where do you think that content comes from? It's by people who, as a child, went to a drama class. It, it is it is that, isn't it? That it's as the budgets are getting smaller, the arts are the ones that get cut, but actually they're the places that build the students. And actually maybe that's the correlation. Maybe it's actually that as we cut the arts and they cut the drama, that that's why the behavior is, is going down because they're not having these outlets. They're not finding those life skills of how to balance themselves. Well, it's focus, isn't it? It's, it's finding ways to communicate with people especially in these short-term provisions you know i'm working with children who cannot communicate with each other without violence or without swearing or without you know with no manners because ultimately i fully appreciate that it is quicker to get something if you punch somebody for it than ask them nicely because they haven't been modeled ways of communication which are socially acceptable and there's something about just taking them out of their comfort zone, leading them into a world of imagination where they can see and it can be modelled to them there are different ways of communicating and, you know, more productive ways that don't hurt them or other people. And it's, I, I think it's a difficult, it's a difficult one because I, I understand that a lot of teachers don't feel comfortable delivering this content. It does require something of you. Uh, something that might be uncomfortable and, and, you know, foreign to you if you've not done it before. You know, it may not be your cup of tea. I wouldn't be particularly uh, at home if somebody handed me a rugby ball and said, you've got to teach year nine. Um, but, you know, it's, it's actually teaching drama is about unlocking other people's potential. It's not so much about performance itself. It's creating a space in which they have complete freedom to enter a world of imagination and I think also as well like you said like we're all watching far more telly and Netflix or whatever subscriber than previously and our kids are watching way more YouTube than previous years and gaming and things like that but essentially they all link back to art and drama of like they could be a game designer or if they wanted to 
get into YouTube, which if you ask most of the kids when they're younger, what do you want to be? It's not a footballer anymore. It's like, I want to be YouTube famous. But if they haven't got those skills and they haven't learned their confidence, then they're, they're, they're not that it's a, a, a perhaps a fulfilling job. I don't know. I'm not YouTube famous. But, um, but they're all skills that they have to learn from those. But then there's that negative disconnect, perhaps, where kids aren't like, oh, drama's not cool. It's like... It's, it's an interesting one, isn't it? For the amount of hours that we absorb from the arts, that not more hours are put into it in education. Mm. I think, you know, that's, that's ultimately key, isn't it? That link isn't being made. Being a YouTuber is being a performer. You know, you've just got a different stage. It's acting for screen. You know, instead of standing in front of an auditorium, you're, you're sat in front of a camera. But ultimately, you have to perform. If you're sat there just going... And then I'm going down here, and then I'm gonna go down here, and then I'm I'm jumping here. People are gonna turn off, uh, and you're gonna be hard pushed to monetize that. The people who are making it in that industry, your Joey Subs, your Joellas, your Mr. Beasts, they've got fabulous personalities. They're characters. They've created a character. I doubt Mr. Beast is Mr. Beast in real life. It's a character, <laughs> yeah. fantastic character, and he has managed to phenomenally monetize this piece of what is essentially performance art and people love it people want to see it. it's no different to people going love judy dench i want to go see her work it's the same thing people aren't making that link and that's very frustrating because ultimately it's, a, it's just a new medium it's a new performance medium you know people aren't looking at film stars anymore they're looking at youtubers it's the same thing let's make that link let's introduce those things because ultimately to be a successful youtuber You've got to be able to communicate. You've got to be able to express. You've got to be able to entertain. And I think I think that's it. Like it's, I was saying at the start of the show that I don't think um, as a country we've grasped how much money the creative industry um, brings to our country. And it's, and it's massively grown in the, as, since the stats I, I read out were pre-COVID. So they would have gone through the roof since COVID. And, it, and it's the growth of the industry versus any other industry in the country is exponential. It's 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 growing so much, and there's so many jobs. But also, it's it's like it's also one of those areas that it's a job that you generally get job satisfaction. I mean, you've put everything into doing your film because you love it and you enjoy it. And I think that's something that I think isn't sold enough. Like we need to be telling the kids find things that you enjoy. Oh, absolutely. You know, ultimately I'm past the point of taking work now that I don't enjoy, especially just for financial gain. Uh, what a sad world. It, you know, I, I fully appreciate that people do have to take employment that they're not, you know, they're not crazy about. Uh, I just think it's, I think that's such a shame. And I think why not go for the things you want to do? If there's something that absolutely makes your heart soar, why not do it? And why not try and that be the thing? Because what a fantastic thing if you get to stand, you know, if you get to get up every day and do your hobby for your job, that's an absolutely fantastic thing to be able to do. But how do we do that? How do we encourage that? Sorry, Liam, you've gone a little bit quiet again. Can you just say that again? Yes. Is that better? (laughs) I just think it's a fantastic thing if you are able to stand up and get up every day and think, oh, I get to go and do my hobby today, and my hobby is my job, and I absolutely love doing that, instead of having to get up and go, oh, I really don't want to go to work, I don't love this, 
you know and i appreciate that people do have to make sacrifices and go down routes that they don't particularly you know they're not absolutely crazy about because they have bills to pay they have children to look after and i just think if you've got a chance to do something and especially as an educator that has to be encouraged you know i can't i can't tell somebody who wants to be an actor brilliant you're going to make all the money in the world it's going to be an easy ride for you i have to lay down the realities of them but it is not my job to dismiss that or to put them off you know ultimately the industry is difficult as it is and it will do that for them you know you'll soon find out if it's not working uh i think it's an educator's job to be an optimist for that person and to be a uh, a champion of what they want to do and back them and give them the necessary route and skills that they can provide to uh, setting them on the path towards what they want to do up uh, after that it's up to that person but you know we're in a position as an educator to really inspire and you know if somebody wants to be a youtuber who am i to dismiss that you know okay great how do we be a youtuber what skills do we need how do we how do we sharpen those skills while you're with me great let's let's do this let's put some fire in your belly to want to be able to do that then it's up to you but let's have that you know people need a lift children especially they need a helping hand let's give them that and i think it's that it's it's also as educators we need to show them that we don't get pinholed in these tiny little pockets like i find it really funny we have a careers quiz at my school where every now and then we have to, we have to write what we did when we were younger and the kids always think because i've uh, that i was an underwater videographer and i used to film sharks for the discovery channel and they all think it's the geography teacher always every time and it's like when they find out it's me they're quite shocked but i was like it's it's knowing that there's other options and i guess it's like your teacher saying to you like have you what about directing like it's it's for them opening their eyes to potentially pass their their home and their family and showing them that there's a whole nother world out there with so many different jobs and jobs have changed and developed over time and they are more creative and there are more of them and also not to mention that you're far less likely to be a rope or oh, what's the word robotized robot robotics oh i can't remember the word where you like your job isn't going to be taken over by a robot basically you've got far if you do a creative job you're far more likely to have a job security as well i think so you know uh, you know as ai can do fantastic things but it can't produce something with heart and it needs a human input to create art that is that is something you know indisputably human uh and i think there's something you know ultimately jobs are being created all the time if you think about it uh you know i'm 31 being a youtuber was not a job as a child <laughs> youtube was that thing with videos on people didn't take selfies we didn't have social media being an influencer seems uh you know i still struggle with that slightly because it, it wasn't around when uh i was younger and i still don't fully understand it but you know hey it's clearly working so uh you know jobs have been created all the time and different paths so technology changes you know and we've got to you know look at streaming netflix was something you got a dvd in the post and now it's the biggest yeah. thing in, in the world and that's in the space of 10 years so you know you were preparing people for for these careers not dismissing them 
you know, times change. People don't want to be a lawyer all the time. People don't want to work in science all the time. You know, who are we to dismiss these different ideas that and career routes that, you know, maybe weren't a thing for us just because we don't fully understand them. And the other, I think that's the thing with my photography GCSE. A lot of people think, oh, it's just easy. You just take pictures. But actually, they're learning all these skills of how to, like, compose things and how to edit them. And they're building those skills that, that can go on. If they then create a brand, they can go do that. I mean, I was I live next to a winery and they called me in because they uh, I've got a friend that works there and they bought all the photography gear and they didn't know how to set it up. So I went in and showed them and taught them how to set it up and how to take product photos mm-hmm. and things so there's there's so many, it's not just going and taking photos um and there's there's so much more to it but if you can do it properly there's there's so many jobs in it and i think we're not showing our young people the benefits of the alternatives because there's, there's so much that's just like maths and english and science that's what you need to succeed if you do one in those you'll do well in life and you'll get a good job and you'll get paid loads of money but it's like actually there's this whole other side and we, it should be just as even it shouldn't be on a back foot it should be just as valued mm. no absolutely and you know i think that ultimately is our job uh to push people in the direction that they want to go down and offer insight into alternate routes that could you know sort of cross fertilize with that job you know you talk about photography it's not about taking it's not just about taking photos it's not just about art every single product every single business has uh photographic marketing you know that and who's that done by a photographer you know who you've dismissed for oh you just go and take photos that photo is making 70 million for a company that one advertisement photo of david beckham is selling those boxes that perfume you know it's it's very small-minded to think of things in such a uh a small minutia way well i know you've got a dash off so i just want to say thank you so much for coming and sharing your stories i do find it all very fascinating and i'm so excited to see the film (laughs) thank you very much i'll I'll keep you posted thank you for having me thank you and i think that's the thing with the creative industry is that there's so much available to our students that we're not showcasing to them we're not showing them the value of it obviously a couple of years ago uh culture capital popped up um and the idea that actually being exposed to all these things do give our students a benefit and actually it benefits them across all the other subjects so not only are we saying that actually if we put more value on these subjects it will benefit the students but actually it will benefit across all the subjects and all the subjects uh, will see an increase in performance if we show the opportunity and expose the students to all these different things but i think since covid was quite good in the fact that everything went online and it is easier to expose students and you can i know i've done quite a lot of online workshops and there is that opportunity to be able to expose students digitally to people but i think the physical thing has disappeared in the terms that and and i understand as a as a head um the pressures of a budget and especially with the increase of electricity costs and pay rises and and things that there is this massive squeeze on budgets but ultimately 
there's it's the arts that are kind of losing it because they are expensive they are expensive to run but actually they are so beneficial to our students and the same as like i think dt has declined massively in the fact that because it's expensive to run a workshop it's expensive to buy enough equipment and enough wood and metal for for 160 70 kids for a whole year group like it's expensive to run these and and the government need to push more into them i know that there's lots of stem stuff and stuff and looking at that side but the traditional arts is running out and it is it's like that I know that my school isn't doing a play this year. They're going to save up the money and fundraise to be able to do it next year because the money to buy the lights and rent in the lights and the equipment was just costing so much. They weren't making that back in ticket sales because they didn't want to charge parents that much to be able to come and see it or they wouldn't be able to. And so they're trying to fundraise and and raise enough money to be able to buy the set themselves so they'll be able to do it for future years. But not only that, from having friends that are, are drama teachers, and the amount of hours that go into it behind the scenes, the amount of after schools and the weekends and the actual shows themselves, the amount of extra hours they put in. And generally, they're not paid for those extra hours. They do it out of the love of their heart because they want those students to have that opportunity. And I think that goes for all of them, like music showcases and stuff like that. The amount of lunch times those staff give up, the the art clubs, the 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 sporting activities from the PE, the catering clubs after school, the, there's just so much that those staff give up and give to their subjects because they love them. But as the workload increases and the stress of, of teaching increases, because it has, it's, it's not the same beast that it used to be. It is harder to teach now than it was. And you're not having the energy to do all those things at the end of the day or is going is creating burnout of amazing teachers because they've just run out of energy because they've given it everything. And they're the teachers that we need to protect. But we also need to make sure that they feel really appreciated, because I think as one of these secondary subjects that isn't as important, that quite often as a teacher of one of those subjects, you feel that. You feel like your subject isn't as important. You can work as hard as you want, but other people will get the focus even though their results were nowhere near as yours. Like ultimately, your results don't matter as much because it's not a core subject. But actually, I'm like, I had one kid that barely attended school um, last year, had really bad mental health issues. And I... And I managed to get her in on the strike days and spend the day one-to-one with me because I was in school. I had a couple of, I had three school refusers that all came in on strike day to spend the time with me and they all passed. But this, this one girl, she ended up getting a five and that was the only GCSE she got because she couldn't, she couldn't deal with the stress of the other subjects. And, but that, she needed that because I passed, I was shopping in, uh, Lidl I'm, I'm I'm not afraid to admit it and I had my headphones in I was away with the fairies and she came running up to me I was like Miss Wilson Miss Wilson gave me the biggest hug and was just like I'm just thank you for everything you did for me and it's like it made a difference to that child she she, she 
she needed to achieve in something and I was the uh, the place that she could do it. I'm the place that she can now go and be like, yeah, I may have mentally not been able to equip myself to do the other things. I really struggled, but I did achieve in something. I didn't fail on everything. I did achieve in something. And I think it is that the arts have that opportunity to have a place, like a safe place for students, to the quirky students to find themselves. And I know I quite openly let students pick topics and they will explore things and I'm quite often the safe space where they open up and tell me things and students that do not cope with other subjects and the pressures that other subjects give them but thrive in mine and that shouldn't be discounted because my subject is is seen as easy they have worked hard to pass my subject they haven't just passed it out of chance because they rocked up and were okay they've done it because they have worked hard and they found a different place that they were able to and they could access it and they've learned skills from it and it shouldn't be dismissed because it's not some amazingly difficult mathematic equation I feel like I've, I've slanted maths tonight but I I have maths table level I do love maths I have a secret maths love but it it's a different skill and it's a different skill set and they're amazing skill sets that can be taken on and they are the skills that mean that you'll do better in a job being creative being able to problem solve being resilient being able to stand up in public and being able to communicate with people are just amazing skills that means that you can can take on anything that life throws on you and and that you are able to build on that and find a job that you love and that's that's not work and means that you have a good mental health because it's important I think the emphasis needs to swap we, we shouldn't be pushing people to find jobs that make money we should be pushing people to find jobs that they love and that they can live off not struggle because we don't want to give them the mental health benefits of, of kind of what that is but we need to give them the skills and the opportunities to go find things that they love and find out about all the different opportunities that are available to them because there is this whole other world as technology has changed that has created this whole creative industry that has grown we, we don't have five channels on telly like we used to when we were kids there are thousands of channels of telly and each one of them is made up of actors and screenwriters and directors and wardrobe and makeup and costume designers and runners and and light light technicians and camera um users and it's just like there's so much that's available to our students that we should we should show them that that's an opportunity but but granted if you want to go in that industry you have to work hard and our students are lacking that resilience so maybe this is the answer maybe this is how we get our students to reconnect with how to graft and how to be resilient and how to problem solve and how to thrive more importantly um and i think we do that through um the creative arts and i and but i I expand that to all kind of other subjects and like earlier we talked about the importance of food tech and them understanding how to have healthy diet and the impact that their diet has on their body and their mood and same with fitness 
the benefits and the mental health benefits of fitness not that you don't want school to be this kind of like god awful recall of rounders we want them to be able to understand all the health benefits the benefits of being able to go for a run or the benefits to go to a gym like we need to be able to show them access to all the things that they will have after school it shouldn't be that school is a different entity to after they leave education we need to close that gap in between what school life is and what uh, the work environment is and what real life is like and kind of help them transition between them uh, so I'm going to end the show there. I hope uh, you've enjoyed it and enjoy the rest of your Monday evening. Teaching is a rewarding profession, but it comes with its fair share of challenges. That's where ADAPT come in. We're not your typical trade union, but instead a modern, apolitical alternative, offering expert legal, employment and mental health support. Protection without the politics. So what makes ADAPT different? We're always apolitical and independent, specialised solely in supporting individual teachers. Our caseworkers are professionally qualified, ensuring you always get the best advice. Plus, there's 24-7 mental health support. Whether it's a simple contract check or handling serious allegations, EDAPT are here for you. Join the thousands of educators who've chosen EDAPT to protect their careers. Subscribe at edapt.org.uk today. EDAPT. Supporting school staff protecting careers. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.